hope you'll have that attitude that the psalm describes, that as we come to read God's word, that you would be like a little child looking expectantly and dependently on its mother. This is God's word for us. I'll read 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Rest your hope in the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. A living hope leads to holy living. A living hope leads to holy living. Up to this point, Peter in this passage has been describing who God is, what he has done for us, how our salvation rests on Jesus Christ. And he says, you have been born again to a living hope. And all of those great truths, then, are ours by faith in Jesus Christ. But that those truths then have an impact on us. They shape our lives. And Peter is now turning in his letter to say what that shape is, what it means to follow after Jesus. And I want to remind you that those two things are connected, what you believe about God what those truths are, and then how you live. I've summarized it there on the back of your bulletin that a living hope leads to holy living, and I hope that's a memorable way for you to think about this passage. To introduce that, there is a a famous saying that you don't polish brass on a sinking ship. You don't polish brass on a sinking ship. Well, what does that mean? Well, if the boat is going down, you're not doing anything to make it more beautiful. You don't go into the room of your ship and make sure your bed is made. Uh, You don't uh, go and and start preparing dinner because the ship's not going to be there at dinner time. Your bed is not going to be there anymore. The ship is going down. But what you believe about your life impacts the way you live. And if you have no hope, if you think that your life is, is a sinking ship, then you live a certain way. But if you have a hope in Jesus Christ, the opposite is true as well. Or the same thing is true, that you live a certain way. Your living hope in Jesus Christ gives you the reason for living a holy life. So let's look at what Peter says, starting with with this kind of strange statement, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, I have to admit that these are some words that we don't often use today, gird and loins. You might find them on a list of vocabulary words, and uh, kids, you might try to use them this week in a sentence that makes sense. You know how the vocabulary uh, lists are, here's what gird means, 
Try to use it this week so that you know what it means. Well, to understand these words, you need to go back into the Old Testament setting and the clothes that they wore. They didn't wear the same type of clothes. They wore loose-fitting robes with maybe a belt around their waist. And if you had work to do or if you needed to get somewhere quick, those loose-fitting robes would get in the way. And so they would gird them up. They would, they, would, they, they would hike them up a little bit so they would have more freedom of movement. Might tighten them with their belt around their loins, around their waist. They would gird up their loins. We have an example of it in the Bible. When the children of Israel were, were ready to leave the the slavery that they were in, God warned them that today's the day. You're going to be leaving Egypt. You need to be ready. And he gave them a Passover meal to eat, and he said, eat this meal with your loins girded up. Be ready for action. Tonight I'm going to deliver you. We might say it this way. It's time to work. Roll up your sleeves. Get ready. It's time to work. Peter says this to help us understand that call to a holy life. These verses are going to lead us to the very end where God says, I am holy, therefore you be holy. But it also looks backward because verse 13 begins with the word, therefore. That means that what Peter's going to say now is based on what has gone before. What has gone before? Just by way of simple summary, and I I would encourage you to go back and read this this afternoon so you remember what came before. It tells how you have indeed been born again to a living hope. That's the exact phrase that Peter uses. It is God himself who has caused you to be born again. God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, the almighty God of all the universe, he himself has caused you to be born again to a living hope. Those verses go on to say how he has acted in mercy and grace to bring you into the family of God. He has given you an inheritance that no one can steal away, that will never be corrupted, it will never decay, This is yours by grace. It is your living hope. God himself reserves that, and he preserves you so that you will reach that finish line. And even though you don't see Jesus now, even though the path in front of you may be very difficult, even though you don't see this, you love him and believe in him because of that living hope that God has given to you. Therefore, gird up your minds. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be ready for action. And that holiness starts in your mind. Peter isn't talking now about literally the clothes that they were wearing. He's using that as a metaphor for how you think about who you are. Gird up the loins of your mind. 
This is really important because one of the tragic effects of the fall is that our understanding has been darkened because of sin. What we think about God, what we think about ourselves is twisted because of that sin. But when Christ calls you to himself, he gives you a new nature. What has been lost, what has been corrupted and polluted by sin is now renewed by faith in Jesus. And specifically, God gives you a new mind. He renews you in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And here, you just have to say that makes sense. Just that idea of not polishing brass on a sinking ship. If sin has darkened your mind and dominates your thinking, you are going to live in a certain way. But when you are changed by Jesus Christ, when you come to know him, you become a Christian, he gives you a new nature and a new outlook on life. And it begins with knowing God, knowing certain things to be true, and holding on to those things. And as you hold on to those things, it begins to shape what you think about the world, about God, about yourself. And it is God then that begins to inform you about what is true, what is valuable, what is lasting. He guides you through his word and through, uh, through his spirit to understand that. So faith and right thinking lead to right action. I want you to remember Peter in this case. Peter can testify to this. You can read about him in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, his own personal experience. And he is well known for being hasty in his thinking and hasty in his actions. He often is well-meaning, but in the end, he is hasty. But as he followed Jesus, he grew in his understanding. He grew in his knowing Jesus and knowing God. And as he grew in his understanding, he also grew in his holy living. So, gird up the loins of your mind. I said, uh, try to use those words in, uh, in a sentence this week. But more than that, don't just think of this as a vocabulary curiosity. Think of this as the practice of the Christian life and how God shapes your mind. He is holy. Meditate on that. Read passages like Isaiah 6, which describes the holiness of God. Think about what it means that God is holy, that he is completely free of sin, and how he calls you and enables you to be holy yourself. This reaches back to those first 12 verses. You cannot achieve holiness by yourself. It is a gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He has caused you to be born again. You are on one level holy because of what Jesus has done for you. Therefore, live that out. Live out a holy life. Pursue it. 
like the way Apostle Paul says it in Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's roll up our sleeves and get busy about that work that God has us to do in the strength that comes from him. Paul goes on then to give two instructions that address your mind. He says, be sober and rest your hope in Christ. And those are the next two points that you'll see in the outline that I've given to you. Be sober. It's another way to say be self-controlled. But when I say be sober, you probably think about the context of drunkenness. That, quite honestly, is the way we most often use it. Someone who drinks to excess becomes drunk. God says to be in moderation, to be self-controlled, to not be drunken, but to be sober, to be self-controlled. Self-control is a a matter of your mind. There's self-control in your appetites, There's self-control in the values that you pursue in life. When you think of it this way, you can come to understand that being sober is referring really to all of life, not just your use of, uh, of alcohol. When you think about it this way, you'll find that that God's word does indeed inform all of our appetites and all of our lives. That relates directly to holy living. Since you are a child of God, which Peter is going to go on to say, since you are a child of God, you come more and more to want the things of God. Remember what we sang in Psalm 131? Like a, a little child resting in his mother's arms. We look expectantly up into God's face, as it were. Uh, loving and longing to be comforted, guided, loved. We find that in the arms of Jesus Christ. And that shapes then how we think, what we want, the values that we adopt in life. That leads to putting off the old desires that are selfish, rude, crude, full of envy and strife and so on leads to be putting on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, set that soberness in the context of suffering. There's a very powerful application that is made. God calls you to be sober so that you would know the grace of God that he has given to you. Commentator Harold makes this pointed observation. When you are in the midst of painful, trying circumstances, which is, remember, that's the context of 1 Peter. Peter's writing to people who are 
persecuted, uh, even to death, when you are in those circumstances, you will find yourself tempted to blunt the edges of your affliction by intoxicating yourself. I've had the awesome responsibility of coming along some that have been ensnared in drunkenness. Here it is literally drunkenness. Oftentimes, what they say is, I need something to ease the pain. I need something to escape. And I'm hearing that more and more these days with other drug use. You don't have to drive far to run into one, two, three, four, five, six places that will sell marijuana. They are used to ease the anxiety to blunt the pain. You think of it that way, it's not just the things we take into our body, but the things that we take into our mind that we can use to intoxicate ourselves, to blunt the pain. You can do so with excessive entertainment, using social media to the point of distraction, shopping, Working out. These things that I've described are all good things, but in excess and taken for the wrong reason, they are used to blunt the anxiety. And as that commentator goes on to say, when you blunt or escape the bad, you also blunt the good. And this is a fascinating thing that I want you to see. The way he puts it is this. The sober man, possessing all of his faculties in proper working order, can not only feel keenly the pain of a trying circumstance, but can also grasp the provision of God by which he is empowered to be more than a conqueror. That is really powerful, isn't it? When you intoxicate yourself, you do blunt or ease some of the pain. But unfortunately, that's only temporary. Your true hope is that God is your Redeemer, that God has forgiven you in Jesus Christ, and that hope leads you to live in a certain way. Be sober. And then rest your hope in Christ. I've often said that the word hope in the Bible is different than the way we approach that word hope today. I might say, oh, I, I hope it snows today. I, I, maybe you're like me, I, I love snow and the conditions are almost right, and we don't get very much of it here in Oklahoma. I, I, 
I hope it snows. What I'm saying is, I wish it would snow. I, I, I want it to. I hope it snows. When the Bible talks about hope, it's something different. There is a, a tangible, definite thing that God gives to you. He gives you hope because of the foundational work of Jesus Christ. There's no question about that, as if it may or may not snow. That there's a probability, there's a longing for it. This is the truth. Jesus Christ died for your sins. That's why he came. Peter has in mind not only Jesus' first coming, but he also says that this hope is attached to the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is his second coming. So he has in mind something that looks back to the definite coming of Jesus Christ and looks forward to the definite second coming of Jesus Christ that all has the purpose of your redemption, your being a child of God. Rest your hope in this. That ultimate hope means that you are set free forever from the power of sin. You are set free forever from the fact that you were once entangled in patterns of life and temptations and habits that were dominated by sin. You were once darkened in your understanding, living in that darkness without able to see the light of the gospel. But now you have been set free. And you may rest your hope in Jesus Christ. That ultimate hope then leads to this, these verses 14 through 16 that fix, uh, in fixing our hope leads to a living, uh, a holy life. Well, that begs the question, what is holiness? And that's a huge subject that I'll encourage you to be thinking about. To put it briefly today, that holiness is to be set apart from sin and consecrated to righteousness, consecrated to God. And that's what Peter describes here. He starts with the negative. Do not be conformed. Do not be conformed to that old way of thinking, that old way of living. That's where you were. But because of Jesus, he has set you free. You have a new nature. You have a new mind to know him. You can read the Bible and be guided in that knowledge of him. He gives you a new heart to desire the things of God, like that child depending on his mother. He gives, you, uh, he gives you a renewed will so that you can fight against the sin in your life. It is no longer your master. You are made new. You are born again to a living hope. So you can resist that temptation. You can fight against that sin. Not in your own strength, but because of what Christ has done for you. Near Peter speaks of lusts which were yours in ignorance. Just think about that. Think about 
before you became a Christian. Before that, your conscience condemned you, but you didn't know the reality, or you didn't know the extent of who God is and who you are in light of a holy God. In ignorance, you didn't know his requirements. Conscience condemned you, but you didn't know. But there was this deep down understanding that you are not right with God that is, is prompted by the Spirit to recognize, and you find the answer to that in the hope of Jesus Christ. You were ignorance of God's grace. You were ignorance of his invitation. You were ignorance of the, of the fact that he offers forgiveness and freedom from the power of sin. You were living in bondage to Satan and sin. But now God has set you free. It's caused you to be born again to a living hope. Therefore, put off all of those things that have to do with the old man. And now, put on. Peter turns to the positive. As obedient children, be holy. Be conformed to Christ. Don't be conformed to those, the old way of life, to Satan and your old way of thinking. Put off the former sins. Put off the former ways and put on Christ-likeness. Well, and how do you know that path of holiness? In a sense, God draws you a map. He is the map. He is the pattern because he himself is holy. He tells you what is holy. He tells you what it is to live a holy life in the Bible. He defines it. To know how to live in a fallen world, you look to Christ. As we saw last week, he informs you in his word. So look to that. Look to Christ to guide you. Look expectantly, look eagerly to Christ in his word. Ask that the Lord would shape you. He would be the pattern for how you live your life. There's a related question. How can you do this? Well, God is the power for holiness too, not just the pattern. He is the power for holiness. What's fascinating here is that he who calls you to be holy also enables you to do that. Much like Isaiah that I read earlier today, much like Isaiah, in the presence of a God who is completely holy, you will always be crushed and humiliated by your sins. In and of yourselves, you cannot be holy. But in Christ, you are positionally, because of that new nature, the gift of salvation, and you are set free then to follow after Jesus Christ. Not only has the Holy One instructed you to be like him, but he enables you to be like him. Stepping back then, you can see that God has indeed caused you to be born again to a living hope. And that living hope 
affects you now in glorious ways. You're not living on a sinking ship. You're not living in a prison enslaved to sin. You're not wasting away under some disease. You are alive in Christ. You really are. You are alive in Christ. You have a living hope. Live that way. We have a phrase today as well, live like there's no tomorrow. That way of thinking does have consequences, doesn't it? We'll live like there is a tomorrow. And that tomorrow is in Jesus. And that tomorrow is not just one day, but an eternity. Live like that. Rest your hope in Jesus. Be sober. Be holy. For our God in heaven is holy. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that the living hope that we have does indeed change us completely. We admit, O oh God, that we can become so discouraged by the way our lives are going. We admit, O oh God, that we go through things that are, are incredibly painful. We confess, O oh God, that worry and anxiety and physical pain and all of these things distract us and drive us to distraction and that we can resort to trying to distract ourselves. God, forgive us, for we want to see your power and your glory at work in our lives. We want to be awake to see that in the midst of real troubles. Oh God, demonstrate that to us. Help us to know the reality of the newness of life that we have in Jesus Christ. Remind us day by day of that living hope. And may that, O oh God, then lead to a way of life, a way of looking at the world, a way of choosing values and the things that we pursue that rises out of our seeing Jesus, looking to him. God, we thank you for that living hope. May it lead to holy living. In Jesus' name, amen. Part of our singing is something of a profession of faith. We're responding to what we've heard from God. And in Psalm 119, it asks a question, how shall a young man, think of a young woman here too, how can a young man cleanse his way? Well, let him with care your word observe. With all my heart I seek for you. For your commands let, from your commands let me not stray.
and sing this thinking of that living hope that you have in Jesus Christ and the, the eagerness, the expectation, the longing to be like him that is our response. We want to be clean. We want to be holy based on what Christ has done for us. Sing this full of faith and hope. Let's sing it together and stand to sing Psalm 119b.